You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to bridgesnashville.com. In 1861, Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of Metropolitan Church in London, England, which at the time was the largest nonconformist church in the world. Spurgeon came to London as a 19-year-old boy preacher, as he was known, but soon enough he would be called the Prince of Preachers because of his influence. In fact, to this day, Charles Spurgeon is one of the most influential voices in Christian literature. He wrote dozens of books on prayer, he started a college for pastors, and he even wrote a few hymns for all the songwriters out there. But probably his most amazing quality was his passion for prayer. Because Metropolitan Church was so large and so well-known, oftentimes people from all across the world would come to Spurgeon to learn how this preacher was able to impact so many people with the gospel. They were impressed at the large size of the building, and Spurgeon would lead them through the 5,000-seat auditorium, down the steps to the basement, where without fail, there would be a small group of people knelt down in prayer, seeking the heart of God for revival for England and for the world. Spurgeon would point out this small group of prayers, and he would say, this is the powerhouse of our church. In fact, he called that basement the engine room because without prayer, nothing else could run properly. One of my favorite Spurgeon quotes on prayer is this, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. Today, we're talking about the power of prayer, and in particular, how the scriptures direct us to pray. Now, this could easily be a 12 or 13 week series, and we wouldn't even be scratching the surface on what the Bible teaches us about prayer. I mean, you've got Hannah's prayer of faith. You've got David's prayer of repentance. You've got Abraham pleading with the Lord for the sake of Lot. And then, of course, you have Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, setting the standard by giving us the Lord's prayer. All throughout the Bible, we see clear instructions and guidelines of how to pray. And today, I want to dive into one of these passages. In fact, this is a a passage of Scripture that has a special place in my heart. If your heart burns for revival, then this is a verse that you cannot afford to miss. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This verse became a mantra for my family and I during our time in Washington, D.C. as we were serving on staff at National Community Church. 714 became a way of life. All of our church during the Lent season, which we are currently in, uh, would wake up at 714 to pray. We would have uh, prayer and worship nights at 714 p.m. We even renamed our worship team 714. I even got the tattoo to prove it. Now, we don't still call NCC's worship team 714, but that verse still holds significance in my life, so I don't regret the tattoo for a moment. Second Chronicles 714 is one of these amazing statements of Scripture that has an if and a then. If you do this, then I will do this. It's a promise from the Lord. And there are three uh, requests from the Lord and then three corresponding responses. God promises to hear from heaven, to forgive our sin, and to heal our land. But he asks us of 
three specific things. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write these three things down. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to seek his face. And we've got to turn from our wicked ways. Now, the first part of this equation is humble yourself. And if you remember from our last series in James, James 4.10, it says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The Lord is attracted to humility. So when we come to God in prayer, we've got to humble ourselves. Being humble before the Lord is what made Moses such a great leader. It's what made David an incredible king. And it's how God was able to use Charles Spurgeon in London to do amazing things for the kingdom. Now you've heard it said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. I would say in prayer, it goes one step further. It's thinking more of God. It's recognizing that God is the one in control and we are not. It's thinking of God as an incredible God who cares about our prayers, not just the big ones, but even the small ones and recognizing that he can do something about it. He's the God that moves mountains. He's the God that splits seas. He's the God that brings dead people back to life. And we are his people. In fact, that's how 2 Chronicles 7.14 starts off. If my people who are called by my name. You know, we identify as Christians because we belong to Christ. We are his. He is Lord and master. He's the king of kings. And we're a part of his kingdom. And because his law is love... Well, how can we not respond to that and submit ourselves to his lordship? We got to come humbly before him. But we can do that with assurance because of the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, the word confidence here in Hebrews 4 isn't rooted in pride. It's rooted in assurance and in humility. A few years ago, Forbes magazine came out with an article that was titled 13 Habits of Humble People. And it said that humble people often get a bad rap for being passive and and submissive and even insecure. But the truth is the exact opposite. Humble people are confident and competent. Remember that Moses was an epic leader. I mean, you would have to be an epic leader to lead a million Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness over 40 years. But Moses was also humble. Uh, Numbers 12, 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Of course, Moses was the one who wrote that passage, but I digress. He was humble. And I thought it would be pretty helpful for us to read these 13 habits of humble people and see how we might be able to apply this to our prayer life and begin to pray with a more humble heart. Check this out. Humble people are situationally aware. They retain relationships. They make difficult decisions with ease. They put others first. They listen. They're curious. They speak their minds. They take time to say thank you. They have an abundance mentality. They start sentences with you rather than I. They accept feedback. They assume responsibility. And they ask for help. Wow. What if we prayed like that? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. The next part of this 714 prayer is to seek his face. Now, one of the translations in Hebrew for God's face is God's presence. So to seek his face is to seek his presence. I mean, think about it. You cannot see his face without being in his presence. Uh, 
And if there's one thing here at Bridges that we're so passionate about, it is the presence of God. In fact, that's in our vision statement where God's presence and his people connect. And you can see God's presence anytime in your home, in your office, in your school, uh, together when we gather as the church, whether that's in house church or for first Sunday gathering, or when we come together to serve our city in community during second Saturday serve, uh, you can seek his presence at our prayer and worship nights. You can seek his presence both corporately as the church and individually as yourself. Seek his face. God's presence changes everything. This is why David wrote in Psalm 105, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So how do we seek? I'm reminded of a game that I play often with my kids, hide and seek. And uh, hiding is the fun part, right? It's the seeking that takes a little bit of effort, doesn't it? Have you ever played a game of hide and seek and you were searching for people and you just got tired and so you gave up and they kept on hiding and they stayed hidden for hours? No, that was just me when I was a kid? Okay, cool. Uh, No, I'm kidding. But to seek the Lord is to go after the Lord and you will find him. Jesus promised, seek and you will find. Both the Old and New Testament say that seeking is a setting of the mind and heart on God. And this is where worship comes into play because as we worship God singing praises to Jesus, we're intentionally fixing our hearts and our minds on the goodness of God. Listen, prayer and worship are so intertwined, it's hard to separate them. You can't have one without the other. Prayer is an act of worship and worship songs are merely prayers put to melody. So if you think of worship as just singing songs off of a screen on a Sunday, I would challenge you to begin to expand how you think about worship. Seek his face, seek his presence. And let me just reiterate humility here because you cannot seek the Lord in pride. Psalm 10 verse four, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. And here's where we come to that third part of the 714 prayer, repentance, or as Solomon puts it, turn from your wicked ways. Bishop T.D. Jakes said, you cannot have revival until you have repentance. Repentance brings revival. We might be praying and asking God for revival, but God could be asking us for broken and contrite hearts to come back to his heart. In fact, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It means to have a change of heart, to turn around and walk in a new direction. Maybe you remember King David. Now, David definitely made his share of mistakes. But one thing that we can certainly say about David was he he was a man after God's own heart. He always sought the presence of the Lord and he lived with an attitude of repentance. After his epic meltdown and mistake with Bathsheba, he writes one of the most humble and beautiful prayers in all of Scripture in Psalm 51. And I want to take just a moment and read this psalm of repentance. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassions, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me from my guilt, purify me from my sin. We jump down to verse seven. It says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And finally, we move over to verse 17. It's really hard to turn the pages in this old Bible. But here's what he says in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit. 
A broken and repentant heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Well, we should yearn for revival as the church, but many of us don't want to tell God that we're sorry. We don't want to admit that we've done anything wrong. Listen, I truly believe that God is setting up his church for a new era, a new wave, a revival, if you will. I believe in Nashville, Tennessee, God is preparing our hearts for a worship revival, but we cannot have revival without repentance. And I dare say that in Nashville, which is known as Music City, I think we've made worship more about industry than about intimacy. I think we need to repent. My prayer is, God, let it start in me. If there's anything in me, God, would you cleanse my heart? Would you renew a right spirit within me? I'm sorry, Lord. At the times where I've lived for myself, would you forgive me? And he promises to forgive us when we ask. Now, David wrote Psalm 51 in the BC era. This was a foreshadowing of when Jesus Christ would come generations later and he would take upon the sins of the world on that cross and he would give freedom and forgiveness to anyone who would call on his name and make him Lord of their life. And I would urge you to come to Jesus today with a humble heart. Seek his face and turn from your sin. He's so loving, forgiving, and kind. In fact, it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It was about 20 years ago that worship leader and songwriter Matt Redman wrote one of the greatest worship songs ever, The Heart of Worship. But before that song became a staple in churches and in worship set lists everywhere, he wrote it for his home church in Watford, England, Soul Survivor. You see, their church had hit this time of just apathy in their musical worship. And so the pastor, the pastor made a bold move. He took away the lights and the PA and he took away the band. He said, it can't be about this stuff. They stripped away everything that they could have used to manufacture an experience and had a season where people just had to pray and and call out to God using their own voice. In fact, in one part of the church, somebody would randomly sing out an acapella hymn and it would spread like a wildfire and people began to have this new and fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit with a new heart of worship. And so with this renewed sense of love and passion for God and a new understanding for what worship was really all about, the pastor piece by piece began to add those elements back. They realized worship is about his presence, not about performance and production. And out of this season of renewal, Matt Redman wrote the words, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things we've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. And that's what repentance is. Saying, God, I'm sorry. Help me to walk in a new direction. Help me to come back to your heart. We gotta pray like this. Second Chronicles 7 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Let's pray. God, would you help us to come to you in humility? 
Would you help us to seek your face and seek your presence every single day? And God, help us to repent. Help us to live lives of repentance where we're not too prideful to say, I'm sorry, Lord. And God, we ask for revival here in Nashville, here in our country, here in our world. God, we ask for revival in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. God, we ask for revival in our schools. We ask for revival in your church. God, we ask for renewal here and now. If you're watching this and you've never made a declaration to make Jesus Lord of your life, This is your opportunity. This is where you can say, God, I'm sorry for my past. Would you give me a new beginning? And that's his promise. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that everybody that comes to Jesus is made a new creation. He wipes away the old, lets you start brand new, and it's never too late to be who you're meant to be in Christ. So if that's you today, I want you to reach out, text the number that you see on the screen, shoot us an email. We want to pray with you. This is the best decision you could ever make coming up in just a few weeks at our Easter service at the Listening Room Cafe. We're going to have baptisms. And this is where you can go public with your faith. You can tell the world, yes, I've decided to follow Jesus. And just like in baptism, when you go down in the water, your old life stays there. When you come out, you are a new person, a new creation, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. So if you make that decision, and if you're watching and you've never been baptized and you want to make that declaration, let us know. Shoot us an email and we will sign you up for Easter baptisms. It's going to be incredible. Aren't you thankful for his love? And aren't you thankful that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance? Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash Bridges Nashville or at Bridges Nashville on Instagram.